1: James 4, our foundation verses. We've been talking to you here out of James 4 of what God says about how to get more grace. Grace is heaven's help. How does one get born again? Heaven's help. You can't get born again without receiving grace heaven's help. You got to have help from God. If you could have done it on your own, you wouldn't need Jesus to die for you. You certainly wouldn't have needed heaven's help. But thank God he makes it possible for us not only to receive the miracle birth of salvation, but this verse as we've been looking at clearly tells us, because this is written to believers, once you're saved, God's got more grace, more help available. Grace isn't given to you that you could then actually, in essence, keep living any way you want and it just not affect your life. No, you reap what you'll sow. But grace has been given to you to help you in every way to live in the benefit of what God himself has desired for you to walk in as a child of his. That's pretty cool. James chapter 4 verse 6, let's pick it up here again. But he, God, gives what? More grace. So clearly this is beyond the salvation experience. He gives more grace and then for then he tells you how to get it. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives this grace to who? The humble. So who gets more of God's help? The humble dude. Then in verse 7, he begins to give you four things of what Bible humility is all about and how you can receive therefore more of this grace. What does it mean to be humble? Number one, therefore submit to God. And in doing so, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what's the first thing I need to do, pastor? Submit to God. Submit to God meaning what? I must accept and agree with God. Everything God says about who I am, what I have and what I can do. I must have my life in line with his will. I can't walk outside of God's plan, God's will for what he says he has for my life. And expect to get help from heaven. I can't go a different pathway, different choices, uh, you know, different uh, decisions based on what I want. That's totally contrary to what God says and get God's help. That's not submitting to God. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today as it relates to this last key. Number one, to submit to God primarily focuses on me and you agreeing with him. I agree that I am who he says I am. I agree that what he says I have, I have. Whether it looks like it or not in the natural. Uh, the hardest thing to get people to do is to actually act like God. Relationship to faith. It's hard to get people to call those things that be not as though they were. And yet that's what God does, that's what faith does. So, this is what submission to God is all about. I agree with God, say it. I, agree. I accept, I accept, everything, I accept. Everything, everything God says about me I who I am, who I have, what I have. What I can do. Every time you, in, con- in relationship to your words, go contrary to that in your speaking, your actions, whatever, you're not submitting to God. You're actually resisting God. You're walking in a form of pride because you're not accepting what God says about you, and that would be prideful, and therefore you're not going to walk in humility. Number two, found in verse 8, you got to draw near to God, and He will do What? So the second thing you got to do is draw near to God. Now, this is a key. You got to go back and listen to it if you were not here for that part of our series. Because drawing near to God doesn't just mean come to church, included. Doesn't just mean open your Bible, included. Doesn't just mean to pray, included. But you're not really drawn near to God if you're not aware he's there. You're not drawn near to God properly if you're not aware of his presence. So you're not really drawn near to God until you're aware that he's there. If you draw near to God biblically, what will he do? Draw near to you. Now, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. His spirit's already in you. That just means he'll make himself known. You'll know. You'll be aware of God's presence. So you're not doing it right if you're not aware of God's presence. Well, how do I do that? You got to go back and listen to that part of the, of the series. I'm not going to repreach it. Then the third thing he told us to do, which we touched on uh, last Sunday, is you got to cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Now, I touched on that in great detail to understand what God's looking at is not so much the action as the actual motive behind it. Because God, obviously, if, if we are just uh, somebody who uh, continues to do things that are sinful that we don't want to do, how are you going to get free? God's help. But how can God help you if you got to get free of the sin first to get God's help? Don't work that way. God will help you. God will help you so it's the attitude behind why you're doing what you're doing if you take an attitude it doesn't matter what i do i can live any way i want i like doing this well my god would never say that i couldn't you know uh live outside of a marriage and have sex with somebody he's not concerned about that anymore excuse me so these kind of things my god doesn't care if i forgive or not because the blood's already been shed we've all been forgiven excuse me No. See, if you continue to do things in a way that you choose to have a wrong heart about what God says is right or wrong, God couldn't help you. So we got to change our viewpoint about sin. Sin's just missing the mark. And therefore, if we change our viewpoint, we cleanse ourselves of a desire to do so. I like something Pastor brought up again when we were. however many times when we were in these meetings Pastor brought up Dr. Sumrall had a young man come to him and actually this guy I think was from his church I don't remember exactly where he was from but he came up to Dr. Sumrall and he said I know something to this degree I know that you don't agree with drinking but I see nothing wrong with it that's your conviction not mine and Dr. Sumrall looked at him and said son I don't care whether you drink or not That's not the question. Here's my question. Why do you want to? Why do you want to drink? Tell me your motive behind it. Because obviously you have a motive as to why you want to drink. You seem to think it's okay. What's your motive? What's your reasoning behind why you want to do it? Because you like it? Most likely. Because it makes you feel better? Honestly, you might think that's true. But most people don't realize alcohol is a depressant. Right? So I love what Dr. Selma, what a great answer, man. Well, I don't care whether you drink or not. That's between you and God. My question is, why do you want to do it? What's your, what's your purpose for doing it? Social purposes? Uh, where does the Bible say that God says it's okay to socially drink uh, drinks with, with uh, toxins in them? So understand it's always the motive behind it. And that's the problem. If I say I don't want to do this and God says I should, or I say I want to do this and God says I shouldn't, it's not so much the should or the shouldn't because it's not just about rules and regulations. It's the motive. Why would you not want to do what God says? Why do you want to do what God says you shouldn't? So that's, that's dealing with the cleansing your hands of sin. If you, choose, if you choose to simply take an attitude towards sin, how many know there's not a sin that won't cost you? How many know there's not a sin that isn't painful? And won't in some way reap bad results. There's nothing about sin that's good. And so you and I have to change our mindset, our view, our heart behind why we do certain things that God says is wrong. If we'll do that, we'll cleanse our hands of sin. And guess what we'll get to do it? God's help. God's help. Aren't you glad about that? Not many amends this morning, but that's okay. I, I gave lots of amends to my pastor while I was there, so I'm full up. I'm good. Praise the Lord. And then the fourth one, what we're going to get into today, is a vital key issue that we don't want to make light of in relationship to any of these four things, like it's not as important. And in many ways, it's probably even more so. Number four, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, purify your hearts, purify your hearts, you double-minded if we are double-minded guess what we have we have an impure heart we have some issues within our heart so number four I don't know how you want to write it down you could just write it down purify your heart dash double-minded because the truth is if you're double-minded it's going to cause you to have issues with your heart but he told you to purify your heart how do you purify your heart you get rid of double-mindedness you got to get rid of being double-minded. I know a lot of people still think that's not true of them. I'm going to tell you right now, your pastor still deals with double-mindedness. If you think you've arrived and you no longer have any issues with double-mindedness, you, you have put yourself in a position far above in relationship to a lot of people in the Bible. Paul, Peter, John, James. These all These guys also had to deal with stuff in their life that would want to cause them to be double-minded. And thank God we can in Jesus' name. The more we get rid of this, you're going to see this really simple. The more we get rid of this double mindedness, the more pure our heart becomes. Now, not like we're not already pure in the sense of a spirit man. Here's the focus as you're about to see. If my heart's pure in this setting, guess what it means? I have absolute faith and confidence and trust in my God. There is no doubt in my heart. There is no doubt. When a heart's purified, there is no doubt. Why do we see a lot of Christians that the things of God are not working for them? They have doubts in their heart. Well, not me, Pastor. Careful. Don't be so quick to jump on the bandwagon to just claim that I'm exempt from this stuff because you got to realize we all have to continue to fight with and deal with what is context of what Scripture reveals double-mindedness that you're going to see produces doubt. Why does the heart need to be purified? Well, if you don't doubt in your heart, guess what you get? Heaven's help. Heaven's help. If I believe something in my heart, right, and I acknowledge it from my mouth, whatever God has said in relationship to God, if I believe that I receive when I pray, and there's no doubt in my heart, guess what I'm going to get? Heaven's help. I'm not going to cause it to come to pass. My part is not to, quote, unquote, see that I have it. My part is to believe I receive it. If I believe I receive, God says I'll have Who's, whose part is it to see that I have it? God. That's called heaven's help. My part is to believe I receive it. The reason so many Christians are still struggling with doubt and even then in essence unbelief is because they don't realize they're still affected by some double-mindedness. And that double-mindedness is the result of what causes us to have an impure heart or a heart that's not free of doubt. Back up to James 1. So in James chapter 1, James addressed this. He addressed this in the setting of James 1 before he ever got to James 4. He brought it up. He begins by the Holy Spirit. He begins to talk about it here in relationship initially. What he's addressing here is receiving wisdom. But then he actually goes beyond just talking about wisdom. And he talks about how this relates to anything in our life. Anything. If you receive something from God, what does that mean? He's helping you. I said, if you receive something from God, what does that mean? He's helping me. I'm receiving his help. What if you're not receiving from God? You're not getting his help. He wants to give it to you. Why can't I get it? Because you're walking in pride and don't know it. And a part of pride means you're walking in a form of double-mindedness. Double-mindedness produces doubt. Say that with me. Double-mindedness produces doubt. What produces doubt, pastor? Being double-minded. Thus saith the Bible. We just let the Bible interpret the Bible around here. We don't bring out a verse and then try to make it say something it doesn't say. We just go to the Scriptures and let the Scriptures define for itself what it says. Amen? So before he ever brought that up in James 4, he actually already addressed this in James 1. And thus, God has him bring it up in James 4 to get more of heaven's help, get rid of this double-mindedness. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, for the sake of time, I don't have time to go through all these verses because we'll run out of time. Uh, Back up in verse 2 all the way down through here. But verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, stop, look at me. What's wisdom? What is wisdom? What is it? Wisdom, in its simplest term, biblically, is the true nature of something. I want you to hear that phrase, the true nature. Nature. You could see something and think it's one way. But if you've got godly wisdom, you may find out it's not that way at all. That's good. That was a mouthful and you didn't yeah. hear me. But I'm, hel- I'm helping you if you'll listen. You could look at something that looks right. right. That seems right. Yeah. Just because of the way it looks. But wisdom could show you that ain't right at all. Come on, yeah. That's right. good. Wisdom from God is the true nature. True nature. Yeah. The true nature of something. You listening? Yeah. You could have people. How many? uh, Let let me let me just jump ahead a little bit. How many think that if anybody uh, in relationship, we saw this at the at the conference? How many think anybody in relationship to having a desire to go in fivefold ministry, to have that desire is a good thing? How many think that's a good thing? It's not a bad thing. What would be bad about wanting to go in the fivefold ministry? But here's the deal: if God didn't call you. If God did not anoint you, even though you want to go do that, and even though you want to become the five, part of the, you want to be a missionary, an evangelist, a pastor, a te- traveling teacher, you know, or, or apostle, and God didn't call you, guess what you're not going to get? Heaven's help. Why? It wasn't his plan. Even though you want to do it, even though you have good intentions. What's wisdom? Wisdom, the true nature of something. So even though somebody has an intent, we saw a whole bunch of young people come up. One thing I'll say about Accelerate Church, that church is on fire for God. I love going there every time. I'm just saying, Lord, my church is coming up there, man. They're coming up. Every time they have praise and worship, that altar fills, man. Young people and not just young people. (laughs) There was some older ladies when they did some stuff at the end, kind of invasion style for the young people because they wanted them because they do an invasion conference there at the end. I laughed, I laughed, but the, there was some older people. They said, "Hey, I know they said this is just for all the young people, but I like it too. I'm going up there. Praise God." This is at the end of the service. Some stuff they did, but I'm just here to tell you, folks, you could have. Somebody with the good intention, and I thank God, Pastor, brought this out to all those kids. Everybody that came up that had, had a, feeling to, a feeling to be called to the ministry said, now listen, you need to know that you're called. I'm grateful you have such a heart's desire to do what God would, you know, would obviously be a, a neat thing if God wants you to do it to serve him. I'm glad you want to serve him. I'm glad you want to do it. But if you do this apart from what is the true wisdom, the true nature, the true knowledge of God, and obviously told all those young people, for all of you that go to Accelerate Church, you see Jeremy Fowle over there, you better know that he knows. Because right. if you don't, the Bible's clear. There is no place in the Bible ever in the book of Acts, New Testament, anywhere. You ready? Mm-hmm. That any laity, you understand the difference? Five-fold laity. Doesn't make me better. No. no, not at all. There is no place where laity was used by God to prophesy somebody in a five-fold ministry. Mm-hmm. Never happened. No. I said it never happened. Thank you for all your amends about yeah. that. But it never happened because obviously fivefold ministry knows if they're called and they have people above them that acknowledge it and they recognize therefore the call on them. Right? I mean, look in the natural. If you have a guy that's really good and has proven himself in an area, let's say in baseball, and obviously somebody else wants to play at that level, how many know that a professional could work with somebody and let you know whether you got that ability or not? They just know by natural gifting and ability, hey... This is probably not the best thing for you to pursue in your life. So guess what? Well, what do you think it is when it comes to spiritual matters? Yeah. So great that all these kids want to be in ministry, but wisdom is the true nature of something. Yeah. Just because it looks good and in the intense good doesn't mean it's God. Right. I'll say that one more time. Just because it looks good in the intense good doesn't mean it's God. I did two youth uh, events in our church that the intent was good the, the purpose was good what I want to do is help youth but guess what they both flopped right. you want to know why after the second one I'm like God how come this didn't work I never told you to do that right. Right. I never told you to do that even your pastor misses it That's right. Everybody does. that shock you no. if you got a pastor that says he doesn't miss it I'd be going finding find another shepherd because right. I ain't found a perfected person on the planet above Jesus yet can I get a better amen? amen. So again, if you, if you lack wisdom here, verse 5, what do you need to do? Ask God. Ask God. What does he do? Gives to all. Who does he give this wisdom to? All. How does he do it? Liberally. What's that mean? He's not trying to hide anything. Notice this. And he does it without reproach. Meaning it's not based on what you have or haven't done. It's based on whether you're believing for the wisdom to come. And it will be what? What will happen? Look at verse 6. Listen carefully. But let him ask in what? Faith. Faith. Where's faith of? Heart. The heart. Let him ask in faith. Watch this. With no doubting. With no doubting. So if I ask God for wisdom, but I don't do it in faith, knowing I've received that I will receive in Jesus' name, I will receive it. If I don't do it in faith, if I have any doubts that God would really reveal that to me, I'm not going to get the answer. I won't get heaven's help. Again, you got to ask in faith with no doubting. Watch this. For he who doubts is like what? What is he? He's like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by what? This is double-mindedness. Watch this. Watch this. Verse 7. For let not that man or woman, she's talking about people, let not that man. Who? The one who doubts. Let not them suppose that he will receive, underline this please, anything, not just wisdom. Right, anything. anything from the Lord. Well, if I am not receiving this, quote unquote, anything from the Lord, guess what I'm missing out on? Heaven's help. Yeah. See, A lot of Christians don't seem to get this. This is one of the things that's hindering them in receiving help from heaven because of these little doubts that rise up. Well, what causes that doubt? So glad you asked. He tells you in the next verse, verse 8, he is this person who doubts. He is a double-minded man. What is he? Double-minded. What is he? Unstable in all his ways. This will affect multiple parts of their life. Multiple aspects of their life. So you got to understand what he just told us in James 4. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is James 1 simply telling us? Why do we come to James 1? If I'm double-minded, what will be the result? Doubt. 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 What causes doubt? Double-mindedness. He who doubts is like a wave of the sea. He who doubts is a double-minded man. It was the double-mindedness that caused the doubt. You know, if the devil, people say, well, you know, the devil just didn't know. If the devil could cause doubt in a believer, guess what? There wouldn't be a single believer with any faith in him. They'd all be doubting. But he can't do that if you don't let him. Now, he has ways to try to get you to doubt, and he does so by trying to mess with your mind. He wants you double-minded. He don't really care so much that you claim God. As a part of your life. He probably would love it if you didn't. But the point is. As long as he can get you to also claim what you want. No. Yeah. Claim what, what you think you have a desire to do with your life. Claim what you want to see what do, done with your life. That isn't God. Isn't God. No. You listening? Yeah. Or claim the world in relationship to uh, what you want. And the aspects of what you're focused on in life. It bothers me. It, it hurts my heart to see people I know that so push their children that their whole life is about winning a title or a world championship or something like that. Are you kidding me? Because once you get it, now what are you going to do? If you get it, wonderful. But your goal in life is not to grab some type of a title, a championship of some kind, a buckle, a ring, whatever, name it, a trophy. That's not the goal. What should be the goal of every believer? Walk with God. Thank you for your amends about my message today. See, we allow this kind of stuff to go on in the aspect of what we do in relationship to Christianity and churches. Well, we don't address this stuff. You know why? We don't want to offend some, some parent that's pushing their kid to do something like this. We not want to offend them. Might run them off from our church. So we continue to hide the truth. And in hiding the truth, we keep them bound in deception. They don't even know it. it. I want one thing in life and it ain't a title. I, don't, don't misunderstand me I brought it before somebody said You're, you don't want a funeral no what for I'm gone right. I, I have no I have no problem with people doing them I'm not against them don't't don't, don't take out of that what I did not say I'm talking about for me you don't need to do my funeral if G, if I if, if I live out my life to before Jesus comes I will if he doesn't if he tarries but if I live out my life to the degree that I leave here before he comes back I don't need a funeral I won't be here. You can say, well, people see it from heaven. Well, I don't really know that that's true or not true. But the point is, guess what? I think I'll be celebrating with heaven, not watching your service. I'm in a far better place. Absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with with doing that in relationship to people. My concern is where you get to magnifying the people. Because the truth is... Brother Sumrall said, I don't, want, uh, I don't want a memorial service, but if you do one, all I want to be known as is a man of faith. That's it. I don't want to be known as some great pastor, some great apostle, some great event. I just want to know that I was known as somebody who trusted God. That's all I want. On my, he, I heard the service. He's turned, turned to his grandsons and his, and his sons. He said, now you boys take a note of this. On my gravestone, all I want to my gravestone to say, here lies Lester Summerall, a man of faith. And don't go spend thousands of dollars for one of these fancy to, to, uh, tomb cases for me. I don't want you to do that. No. They work with a prison. That actually, these prisoners made pine boxes. He said, you go tell those prisoners to make a pine box for me because my body's going to return to the dust of the ground anyway now you can get all upset about all that i'm saying oh man i'm just trying to explain something to you that we got to get a proper focus in life so that we're not what double minded double minded Double-minded. Now, I think in relationship to doing memorial services, there's nothing wrong. We've done them. We've we've gone to them. We've gone to our spiritual father's memorial service. I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about anybody else. That's wonderful. I'm just trying to explain something to you to understand. Double-mindedness means we kind of start taking on our plan in place of God's plan, but we think it's God's plan, many of us, and it may not be. Many plans in a man's heart. Many plans. What's a man? A human. human. If you're a human from a perspective of being on the planet, knowing obviously you were born as a human, raise your hand if that's you. If you don't know that, we'll pray for you at the end of service so we can get you, help you understand what a human is. So guess what God just said about you? You got many plans in your heart. Right. Now think about that. If there's many, what's that mean? I got to really work to weed those out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. It's not like just one or two that I got to, you know, deal with and set aside. No, there's a whole bunch that keep trying to pop up to get me to do things that God never wanted me to do. Can I get a better amen? Double-mindedness means we're not zeroed in on God and what we know is we're about to see what God has for our life. We're allowing other things to actually filter in. And when we do that, what do we become? Double-minded. Guess what it hinders? Our faith in God. Because a double-minded man is what? One who doubts. What if you don't doubt? You're walking in pure faith. If you walk in pure faith, guess what you're going to get, ladies and gentlemen? Heaven's help. Heaven's help. I submit to this church family who I have preached to some of you for 20 plus years. We've been in existence coming up on 34 years. I submit to you, your biggest problem is not a lack of faith. Your biggest problem is the doubt that's still in your heart. God gave you a measure of faith. Why would he give you a measure of faith? Not enough to do what needs to be done in relationship to your life. Kind of a mean God if he just gave you a little tiny speck of it and not enough to do what you needed. The Bible, actually, the, most scholars believe in the Greek language. It doesn't say a measure. It says the. God gave you the measure of faith. Well, then you go to Corinthians, what did Paul say about it? We have the same spirit of faith. Meanwhile, I ain't got no than God had. What's the problem? Double-mindedness. Which leads to what? Doubt. And the moment we have any doubt in our heart, guess what we miss out on? Heaven's help. Heaven's help. You know, if you don't doubt in your heart, you're not concerned about a time frame. Right. Come on. God doesn't focus his life and attention on time. He, he works with it. But guess what? He's an eternal God. Time doesn't affect him at all. So you got to understand something. When you get caught up in a relationship, well, I've been believing for a long time. Doubt. That's doubt. That's double-mindedness. When you start bringing up how long it's been, I can already tell you, you don't even realize it, you've shifted into doubt. Because you believe you received. it don't matter how long. It's not an issue of a time. Thank you for all your amends about that. So we got to address this issue of double-mindedness because this is what's causing doubt. The word double-minded here and in the, in, it's only used twice in all the Bible. James 1, James 4. It's the only time this word's ever used, ever, in the entirety of the Bible. Here's what it means. Vacillating in opinion or purpose. Think about that. You know, vacillating going back and forth. Vacillating in opinion or purpose. You know how many people can't even get solidified in relationship to the Word of God? Get rid of your opinion, take what God says, and you got all you need. The reason you vacillate an opinion is because you have your opinion. This guy has his. Well, I got my opinion of what that verse means. Well, I got my opinion. Well, I got my opinion. We don't care what anybody's opinion is. What did God actually say? And I've had people tell me all along, well, you can't actually have absolutes in the Bible. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh, no, everything is subject to somebody's opinion. No, it's not. Pro, pro, true prophecy, the prof, the profi, the, uh, pros, the uh, inspired prophetic word God put in your hand is not subject no. to its own interpretation. God said what he said. If he wanted you to know, it's black and white. Jesus said it's so simple. A little child could understand it. Right. Little children. Amen. Well, he didn't explain everything. You don't need to know everything. That's right. <clears throat> we don't need to know everything about the end times. Not going to be here. All I need to know, all I need to know is how to prepare for the rapture bus that's going to take me out here before that happens. Why do I need to know everything about the end times? Do you realize Christians, even from a perspective of Bible study and reading, can become double-minded because they start going by their opinions? Talk about end times. Well, we need to study end times more. Why? You going to be here when the when, when the when the tribulation starts? I mean, you already are in, in times, but you know what I'm talking about? People talking about the book of Revelation, all that's going to happen, all that. Let me help you. I'm going to sit in heaven and watch it happen. Now, you can go where you want, but I would encourage you to get on the first busload and be there with Jesus too. Yes. It's not going to be a happy day for heaven. No, it's not. We're going to watch a lot of people go through a lot of hellish stuff that they didn't have to. Jesus provided a way out, aren't you glad? God's always provided a way out. Always. 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 Noah's day, so horrible sinful. You think it's bad now. Yes, I, know. It was I said, you think it's bad now. Yeah. How bad was it in Noah's day? How many got out? Eight, eight. eight people. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Only eight people. That's how bad sin had overtaken that's right. the world at that time. To the degree God said, it repent of me that I made man. Not like he doesn't want us. No, He's just saying, man, I had in relationship to the aspect of man, God is all knowing, but man, I mean, it, it just kind of shocks you. Then when you see it come to pass, how bad it is. But what did he do with the righteous who was ready, who was building an ark? That's right. He removed him. Are you building the ark? Yes. God does everything in patterns. Jesus said, in the last days, it'll be like the days of Noah. That's right, Gary. Meaning what? There'll be people helping build the ark. And there'll be Christians making excuses of going to God's house right. to not be a part of building the ark. Yeah. Oh my. No big deal. Well, yes, it is. Don't listen to that Pastor Baker. He's a clothesline harsh preacher. He don't know yeah. what he's talking about. Oh don't even listen to that guy or people like him, Dr. Barclay. These guys are nuts. They just want you in your church, in their church so they can get you money, take advantage of you, and, and do what they can with you, and they don't really care about you at all. Really? Yeah, Let me help you. A pastor that would be like that wouldn't be preaching the way I preach or preaching that's the way right. pastor preaches. Maybe right. would right. yeah, be that's your ears, right. keep you in the chairs. Right. I can I get a better right? amen? amen. But you got to understand this, folks. Just like the day of Noah, it it will be in the day that you and I live. We don't have to worry about all the end times. But isn't it amazing how many people want to spend all their time studying end times to try to figure out not about when we're living now, preparation of rapture. I'm talking about what's going to come afterwards. I I, I had a senior minister ask me this the other day. Do you not know this prophecy about what's going to happen in the tribulation? book uh, of tribulation, the book of Daniel. I said, no, I've read about that. I understand what you're referring to. You don't know the actual verse. You don't study that? No, I don't. (sighs) Well, you need to study that. You need to know that. Why? I won't be here. Why would I spend all this time and attention giving myself to something of a time frame in which I won't be here? And I lovingly told this senior minister, I love you, but I have my assignment from Jesus and my pastor. Prepare God's people for his return. Win as many souls as you can and prepare God's people for his return. That's what I'm focused on. That's why I spent almost all my time in the New Testament. We go from there to refer back to the old of things to learn, no doubt. But I'm just here to help you understand, folks, people can even get double-minded studying the Bible. For now their focus becomes something that really is a minor thing to study. We major, unfortunately, many believers on the minors. You listening? Yes. Many Christians major on minor things to God that really is not something significant to the time you live in. We should not do that. So if we have this double-mindedness, what will happen? We'll have doubt. What will we receive from God? Nothing. Let me finish my definition. Vacillating in opinion or purpose. All that came off the word opinion. Well, here's my opinion. Here's forget about your opinion. Right. What does the Bible actually say? Well, I know what you're saying, but this is my interpretation. No, you better study to show yourself approved. And by the way, in laity, you should study as a, as a believer, but you better also trust fivefold ministry that God did gift Amen. to help you understand it. Thank you, Lord. I love something the Pastor said. It's okay to ask your pastor if you don't understand something. Or have a question about things in your life. It's okay to ask them. I ask my pastor. Or who to to. Huh? Or who to to. Yeah, or who to listen to. Thank you very much. So notice this. Vacillating in opinion or purpose. Wavering. This is the definition of double-mindedness. You vacillate in opinion or purpose. You're wavering or you have divided interests. Divided interests. Vacillating in opinion or purpose. You waver. Like he just said. Uh, like a wave of the sea, you waver, or you have divided interests. This is double-mindedness. We need to get rid of it. I said, we need to get rid of it. We're going to start this morning. We'll finish it up tonight. I want you to go to Luke 24 with me, please. Luke chapter 24. Let's begin. Digging into this double-mindedness stuff. So we know if a person is double-minded, what is actually evident in a double-minded person? Doubt is. So we can begin to do what? See, this is what you know as a minister of God, as a uh, gifted five-fold minister doesn't mean that the believers can't ever get revelation of the Bible. Lord, no. No, not at all. But you always want to confirm that in relationship to things you're being taught through your leadership. That's why God gives you leadership. And so, in relationship to the way I study the Bible, Holy Spirit speaks to me all the time. Real simple things. It's not hard to figure out. One, go by deduction. So, he said, clearly, if I'm going to be humble, what do I got to do? Purify my heart, from double-mindedness. Really, what are you pure and fired in your heart from? Doubt get rid of double-mindedness, what do you get out of your heart? Doubt. Yeah. So now your faith is working. Amen. Now you're getting heaven's help. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to find out how, then, do I get double-mindedness? I got to acknowledge and recognize if double-mindedness causes doubt, how do I actually get double-mindedness? Well, you got to do is start going and studying on doubt. Yep. Because wherever doubt shows up, guess what's present? Double. <laughs> double-mindedness. And you deduce really simple, if I go learn more about where doubt shows up, I'll learn more about how this double-mindedness affects people and how it works. Luke chapter 24, verse 36. If you're there, say amen. 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 This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. He actually just got done revealing himself to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Remember that? Yes. They came back and said, hey, we've seen the Lord. Just like Peter said, We've seen him. We actually walked with him. We talked with him. We sat down, began to have a meal with him. And the moment he broke that bread, boy, our eyes were open. And we realized this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is Jesus. He has come back from the dead. So they're talking about it. They go back to immediately. They went to Emmaus to kind of get away. I mean, they're they're blown away that their Savior died. Right? Even though he said he's come back from the dead, they didn't get it. They think, wow, man, we thought he was going to come and restore all of Israel under the rule of the Jews because the Romans are much in control, And all, but none of that happened, and now he's dead. What are we going to do now? They're distraught, man. Yeah, right? So these two guys, Emmaus was kind of like, in essence, like almost going on a little bit of a vacation, a little getaway, real pretty area to get away from all this stuff just to have some time to quiet down and think. So two of the guys are on the way, and Jesus appears in the midst of them. Amen. Now, when Jesus first appears, they know it's him. No. something in their heart says "Hmm, something different about this guy you learn at the end of the story did not our hearts burn within us so as they're walking with him and he's talking to him and he says where are you going oh we're going to a mass why well don't you know what happened in Jerusalem well you're the only guy around that hasn't heard of what happened to our Jesus our, our Messiah they crucified him they killed him three days ago oh he's the one by the way they don't know that and so guess what he does? He begins to expound from the Old Testament right. of all that the Bible said would happen to that Messiah when he would come. Then they get to Emmaus. He, the Bible says he would have gone on further. A couple smart boys here, because something's burning their heart, they know, I don't want to have this guy disappear and walk away. Right. They don't know for sure it's the Messiah, but there's something going on. We know there's a connection here. People need to learn this. When I get that stirring in my heart, I found my pastor, you better not let him get away from you. Amen. I better not let this shepherd get away. He wanted to go on. The Bible says they compelled him. Would you stay? So he he did. Guess what he doesn't do? Go anywhere he's not invited. Guess what your pastor can't do? He can't help you in your life and anywhere that that he's not invited to help you. And so he sits down with them. They're having dinner together. And all of a sudden he grabs the bread. He breaks the bread. And guess what? Boom. The light goes off. This is Jesus. The minute that happens, guess what he does? He doesn't leave the room. He just becomes invisible. You listening? Guess what you'll be able to do in your new glorified state. (laughs) Come on. You're not popping in and out of the room. You're just visible or not. Right? Have you ever been? I've been to one of these hotels before. You ever been to one of these hotels where they got now total glass walls between your room and the bathroom? Yeah. And you can see your bathroom. It's like, why in the world can I see my bathroom? Why would I need to see somebody in my bathroom doing things you do in a bathroom? <laughs> why do I need to watch that? Right. right? First time I ever saw one, I was with a pastor in Jerusalem. Yeah. We were at a hotel in Jerusalem. I'm like, wow, glad it's just me staying in the room. <laughs> glad, glad. Glad there's nobody else in my room. I'd never seen this before. But I'm like, this is pretty wild. I mean, I could see, like, if you had several guys bunking with you, you know, in the same room, which now I'm glad I didn't, uh, man, I'd be going, okay, I think I'd just go for a walk. <laughs> but all of a sudden, there's a little sun, it has a little slip, flip the switch on. When you do, guess what happens? The glass, I don't know how they do it, but the glass, all of a sudden, from being seen through clearly, all of a sudden turns into where you can't see through it. Turn it off, see through it. It's like it's not there. Turn it on. You can see it. Guess what you can do when you're a glorified body? Turn yourself on. Turn yourself on. I'm still here. You turn yourself on. I can't see me. How's that work? Ask God. Don't major on the minor. You're going to have the same glorified body. Jesus didn't walk out of the room. The Bible says he immediately disappeared. Meaning what? He turned the light on. Turned the switch off. <laughs> see ya. And he walked out of the room. I believe he was walking with them all the way back to Jerusalem. These guys were so overtaken by that, they didn't even stay in Emmaus. No. They said, oh, we got to go we gotta go tell the disciples. Right. We've seen Jesus. So they immediately get up, leave Emmaus where they were going to stay. Right. And they head back to Jerusalem. They get to the upper room where they knew everybody was. Right. Guess who I believe walked with them all the way there? Yes. They just didn't know it. Yeah. You listening? I said, are you listening? Yeah. Who walked with them all the way back there? Well, you can't prove that he did. You can't prove that he didn't. I'm not going by opinion. I'm just saying because the minute they start talking, guess who turns the switch back on? Jesus does. Right Right there in the midst of them. Watch this. 36, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, what, peace to you. He was there the whole time. But they were terrified. They were frightened. Suppose they'd seen a spirit or we'd say a ghost. And he said to them, watch this, why are you troubled? Underline that, please. Why are you troubled? Why are you also troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Oh, we got another nugget. We got another nugget of what causes double-mindedness. Not only does double-mindedness produce uh, doubts, but what's also a part of the aspect of doubt? Troubled. 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 Agitated. Mm -hmm. Frustrated. Woo, come on, somebody. The, these are all aspects of what we recognize where doubts exist, which causes us to understand we're what? Double-minded. Right. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise where again? In your, heart. In your hearts. Behold my hands and my feet, and as I myself handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He went beyond that. And he said, and it notice this, then he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they were still not believing for joy, meaning what? They're now rejoicing. Wow, the Messiah, but the, the point here, this statement is not good in most English translations. While they still did not believe for joy? What? While they still did not believe for joy and marveled? Well, the minute they saw him and he had revealed himself to them, how many know joy started rising up in their heart? I mean, they began to marvel at the fact he's standing right there in the midst of them. Yes. But yet they're still saying that this is too good to be true. No, my. This is just too good to be true. That's the phrase there. So he said to them, hey, you got any food? You still don't believe me? Go get some food. So they gave him a piece of rolled fish and some honeycomb. I'm like pastor. I'm glad when we get to heaven, we still get to eat. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't cause you to have problems with Being overweight. (laughs) Have you any food? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. Verse 43, he took it and he ate it in their presence. Why? Why did he eat it in their presence? To prove that I'm really here. I'm here. You're excited. You got some joy, but you're still like, "Eh, is this for real? I don't know. Too good to be true. What do we got going on here? We have double-mindedness. Still going on. Double-mindedness still going on. Did Jesus not tell them everything that would happen? Yes. Obviously, they still had some mixture in their own thoughts of what would happen. What was their thoughts? He's going to take uh, Israel on. He's going to set up his rule, and he's going to rule from Israel from here on out. But that wasn't God's plan. So because they had their plan, and that wasn't God's plan, guess what they are? double minded what did the double-mindedness cause? Doubt. Which even caused them to do what? Be troubled over what was going on. You would think these boys, when Jesus died, if they would have been paying attention, if they wouldn't have had two different views of things, if they would have totally listened to him, 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 if they had have, totally have focused on what he said and nothing else. The day he died, they would have been shouting. They would have waited for three days. You listening? Yes. They, he told them everything that was going to happen. He did. How more graphic can you get? Do you boys remember Jonah? Yeah. Remember when he was in the whale well, three days and three nights and then the whale well spit him up? Yeah. Yes. So will the son of man be three days and three nights in the earth. But the earth's going to spit him back up. Yes. And if they would have really had a focus on nothing but what he said, but they didn't. But if they would have, when Jesus died, guess what? They wouldn't have been sad. They wouldn't have been troubled. They wouldn't have been doubting. Guess what they'd have been doing? Shouting. Woo-hoo-hoo! You kidding me? You boys think you really did us a disservice. You don't realize you just fulfilled God's plan. He's coming back. Watch what happens three days from now, boys and girls. You ain't seen nothing yet. Come on. See, this is the reason a lot of Christians aren't in faith. Because when all of a sudden they think they get in faith and everything goes contrary to it. <laughs> yeah. right. Even though they say they know what the word of God says. Right. And your Messiah dies. And you no longer rejoice and get excited. I'll tell you what, you're double-minded. You don't really know what the word says. Right. You heard it, but you didn't really hear it. That's right. You got a vacillating opinion. Come on, somebody, help me preach. And until we go solely by what God's Word says, guess what we're not going to get? Heaven's help. Go to Luke 10. That's not just believing in His promises, folks. That's even believing in what He tells us to do with our life, how things work, how do we know do these things work out in our life? We better learn from the Bible. God gave you the Bible. How many know that the word Bible is not in in the Bible? As our pastor brought that up Bible's not in the, the word Bible is not in the context of your Bible that word's not in there but it does mean I mean I'll, I'll simplify it there's a there's kind of a higher definition for it from the original Latin I'll simplify it basic instructions before leaving earth that's what your Bible's for give you basic instructions, basic instructions how you're supposed to live before you leave the planet therefore it should become one of the most important things in your life. Mary understood this. Mary understood this. Luke chapter 10, come on. I'm running out of time. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went, Jesus and his disciples, that they entered a certain village. Certain village. Why does it have to tell us a certain village? Because Jesus never did anything except what the Father directed him to do. Never. Jesus only did what the Father directed him to do. Thus the reason a certain village. This wasn't like Jesus just decided, well, this sounds like a, hey, you know, come on. We haven't been over to Martha and Mary's in a while. Let's go to their place. No. He's being directed by God. That's right. So he goes to this certain village and a certain woman named Martha, say Martha, Martha. welcomed him into her house. Now they, they already knew each other. Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. Lazarus was Martha and Mary's brother. They're all relatives. So he happens to go back into that region there, and Martha invites him into the home. 39, notice, she had a sister called Mary, underline this, who also sat at Jesus' feet and did what? Heard his word. What, What did they do? Heard his word. Heard his word. It totally impacted and changed one person's life to the degree that even though, yeah, she might not have fully understood the resurrection at the time, but I'll tell you who was one of the first ones at the tomb that saw him raised from the dead, Mary. Why? She heard his word. Yes. Hallelujah. So notice this. Again, it says, who also. Say, who also. So what does that mean? Jesus is in the house. He's come into the home. He sat down. They've invited him to sit down. What do you think Jesus is going to do while he's there in the house? Teach him. Speak the word of God. And what was happening at the start of that time of teaching? Both Martha and Mary. Where were they at? at where were they at? at Sign of submission. Right. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. was Now, obviously, it goes on to even tell you and heard his word, but Jesus is the word. But Martha, she was distracted. With what? Much serving. And she approached him, Jesus. Watch this. Because here's what happens A lot of times with people who are double-minded. Notice what she did. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, you tell her to to get up and help me. I want you to tell her right now to get up and help me. Now, the way this sounds to modern-day preachers is, well, I know pastor said that, but that's not the way I see it. That's not the way I believe it. Who is pastor to tell me how I'm supposed to live my life, believe my... Well, I'm not here to rule your life, tell you what to do. I'm just here to tell you what the Bible says. Can I get a better amen? What's Martha hearing from the word himself? How to live her life. Who all of a sudden gets distracted to the degree that she now wants to take Mary away. She wants to pull Mary away. Who in the world is using Martha here? A familiar spirit. The familiar spirit is actually convincing her to even talk to Jesus about trying to deal with Mary to get Mary to get up and help serve. Are you listening? Martha was distracted 40 with much serving, approached him, do you not care? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You tell her therefore to help me. Tell her to get up and help me. Because obviously, a host in that day would want to take care of the people that came to their home, get them something to drink, wash their feet, get them a little something to eat if they've been traveling, etc. But you know, if Jesus would have needed that, he would have said, before we preach the word, we'll let you serve dinner, and then we'll all sit around and have a meal, and I'll teach the word. But he immediately sat down and started teaching the word. Mary was smart. She went right to the feet of Jesus and sat down and submitted to that word. Notice this, 41, Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you know when he says your name twice yes. to begin the conversation, it's not good, but he's trying to help you. That's right. He's not mad at Martha. No. He's trying to correct Martha. Yeah. He's trying to help Martha. Yeah. Watch this. You are what? Careful. Worried. Worried and what? Troubled. What are you? Worried. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Why are you troubled? Right. And doubting. Yeah. Yeah. See, where trouble's existing, doubting's existing. What's doubt the result of? Double mindedness. Who's double minded here? Martha is. Who's not? Mary's not. Notice this. He said, Are you so uh, worried and troubled about what? Many things? Underline it. Shout it at me, but one thing is needed. Wow, we're in big trouble as the army of God if that was a shout. I said, Shout it at me. We'll keep working on it. Shout it at me. Jesus said. Jesus said, Martha, there's one thing needed. Why? Because for heaven to help you, you're going to have to get fully under the attention of and submission to God's word to be able to get it in your heart, to not doubt it in your heart so that heaven can help you. Heaven can help you if that word's not a priority to your life. Heaven can't help you if you're willing to do things contrary to the Word. Any area of your life you choose to walk contrary to what the Word says, you're double-minded in that area. And guess what heaven can't do? Help you. Cannot help you. Why? God can't violate His Word. I mean, know, the Bible says in the Psalms, His Word is settled in heaven and earth. I mean, it ain't going to change. One thing's needed. Say, one thing's needed. Watch this. And Mary has Chosen chosen it's a choice it's a decision mary has chosen what that good part notice this which will not be taken from her now that actually the phrase there actually means I, here's the way we would say it kind of in modern day language now listen martha i'm so sorry that you don't understand the importance of this moment and because you don't you're distracted by doing all these other things but i'm not going to stop doing what god sent me here to do I'm going to teach the word of God. Mary was smart enough to know, I want everything God has to say to me. I want to submit to that. I want to receive that. I don't want to be distracted from that. I'm going to go sit at his feet and receive that word. And you're now asking me to tell her to get up and help you serve? Come on. The last verse says it this way. I will not take her away from. Right? That's right. That's it. Right. Says it won't be taken from her. The actual phrase is, I will not take. He won't do what she's asking. What Martha's asking. I'm not taking her away from the word. I'm not taking her away from my feet to hear the word of God and to have her go help you to serve. I'm not going to do that. But guess what? Familiar spirits will try to convince you. But God won't. I said God won't. So here's a key to dealing with double-mindedness. You ready? You got to recognize that I must have total... And com, uh, total, complete acceptance and submission to God's Word. I've got to have total and complete acceptance to and submission to. Total and complete acceptance of, we'll say, and submission to God's Word. I've I got to accept it and i got to be submitted to it. Whatever God's Word says, that's how it goes. Period. But i got to accept it first. Think of how many double-minded Christians there are today. If there weren't so many double-minded Christians today in the world, even in this area of North Texas, guess what? You couldn't find a seat here this morning. Or any church teaching the Word for that matter. Why? They would want to sit at the feet of... I'm not Jesus. They'd want to sit at the feet of the Word and hear the Word preached. Can I get a better amen? The sitting at the feet of means I'm submitting to this, not just listening to it. She had enough smarts to know I'm not going to get distracted and be double-minded when the word is being preached, I'm going to go sit under that word and I'm going to submit to it. I'm going to do what it says. I'm going to anchor it in my life. I don't care what I think. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what Martha says. That's right. you know? I don't care what my big sister says. Yeah. Even though she's my big sister, I'm not going to be pulled away from what I know I need in my life and that's the word of God and that's what I'm going to submit to. Right. The problem with a lot of Christians is they either don't fully accept it but primarily and, and sit under it and or they don't fully submit to it. They claim they do. I mean, I've not met a Christian yet to say, do you believe the Bible's a lie? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's full. No, I haven't met one. Maybe there might be some. You know, you can ask them, do you believe it's truth? Yeah. Do you believe God lied? No. Why don't you do it? Why don't you submit to what he said? Well, you just don't understand my situation. Oh, okay. But I have to know that what you're doing or what you're saying or what you're believing is contrary to the word. You're saying one thing, God says another. God says you're a victor, you say you're a victim. How you get God's help that way? You're not. You're not not agreeing with God. Back to the first point of submitting to God. So submission to God goes beyond you and I just understanding, accepting who we are, what God says we have, what God says we can do. It also means we do what? We get rid of double-mindedness by saying, hey, I'm singly focused on one thing. What you said is the way it goes. What's double-minded? You're allowing other things to be mixed in. Other people's opinions. There's a lot of preachers today giving you opinion of the Bible. A lot of them. I don't want your opinion. What did the Bible say about this? And if I'll take what the Bible said about it, and I will have such a hunger, such a desire to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear it, to do it, to believe it, to act on it, to accept it as a fact. If I do that, what am I doing? You're cleansing your heart. You're cleansing your heart of all doubt, by no longer being double-minded. Amen. Double-minded means I don't care what anybody else thinks about anything as it relates to anything about my life or this life or anything what goes on in life. Whatever God said, that's what I want to know. That's right. If I don't know it, I'm going to search it out until I can figure it out, until I can find out what he said. Once I find out, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what I think. Because right. you think a lot of things, again, many plans in a man's heart. I don't care what I think. You know how many times, I'll close with this. You know how many times I tried to get out of being a pastor? Many times. I'll, I'll put it in a reverse order. Like a lot of people wanting to get into ministry that aren't called, or a lot of people trying to get into ministry that aren't called. Let me put it in a reverse order. I was in ministry and didn't want to be in it. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, through all the stuff we were going through, I was like, man, I just don't think this is what I should be doing. I don't really think I'm called to do this, get to do this. I'm talking about after we got Dr. Barclays, our pastor. But yet I knew all those years back when Coy first called this church into existence and asked if I would start it. I knew through those initial months, man, my heart began to change. I knew God had already revealed to me this was what I was supposed to do. I had confirmation from an evangelist and an apostle named Coy Huffman whom God used to reveal that calling. I knew that. I knew all that. But I'm going to tell you what, folks. I guarantee you what, man. Double-mindedness will cause you to waver in the times when it gets really tough. Even I did. And I began to waver. I said, man, I don't think I should do this. We could go do other stuff with our life. Honestly, have our life become a whole lot more pleasurable, a whole lot more peaceful. I mean, if you think all sheep in the house of God are blue ribbon sheep, let alone do you think they're all sheep? No, there's a lot of goats. Goats doesn't mean they're not born again, but they're always butting around trying to find a way to cause problems, you know. They'll eat anything. They won't just receive what I have. Then they'll go out and feed on everything else out in the world and you just can't help them because they got all this mixture in them. And there's a lot of those people. Then they come back telling everybody else, well, I know pastor said that but I don't believe that. Here's what I believe. Oh, so you're going to take the word of a laity who said they've heard somebody else when they're not gifted to shepherd you. You know how many people left my church because some other person allowed a familiar spirit to use them to, to speak to somebody else to tell them to stop listening to their pastor? I can't even tell you how many times that's happened. You can say what you want. I've watched those lives crash and burn. I've, they've, none of those lives down the road, I don't follow them, but the ones I know of, they don't get better. No. They don't. And if you notice this, most of them aren't better when they leave. They're bitter. If they were really obeying God, they'd be going out better. They're not, they're going out bitter. So, I'm just telling you, man, in all those times, I have questioned God multiple times, several times in my life. But there came a point one time, we were living in Keller, and I called Pastor on the phone and I said, Sir, I don't want you to take this wrong. I know you're my pastor and I know you're a prophet of God. I don't have any question about that at all. But I am holding you to the fire. I need to hear from you that you know that you know that you know that you know I'm doing what I'm called, because I'd just as soon shut this thing down. You're my pastor, that I know that. I'm not gonna walk away from my pastor. So I'm gonna pack my family up and move to Midland, Michigan, and I'd have a blast doing it. I'll come up there and serve, I'll come up to be a part of what you're doing. I would love to do that, I'd love to help my pastor. I love being around my pastor, love helping my pastor. Well, other people don't, but I do. I love being around my pastor, some do. Don't misunderstand me. So I said, I just need to know. That, Am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? It was that silent, <laughs> and then he said, "You already know, son. God called you, don't you? Yes, sir. What if you quit? Oh, Lord. You could. Lot do. You know, right now, statistically, there's what did pastors say? Four thousand and something. Twenty-six hundred ministers that leave the ministry. I, can't, I mean, that are called. I think it's monthly, monthly, every month. I mean, if you're not called, you should get out of it, for sure. Brother Hagan said a lot of people trying to do ministry and weren't called to it. But, but uh, he said, you know you're called. What happens if you leave now? You being obedient to God? No. Would you be a blessing to our church? Sure you would. Yeah, absolutely. Would you learn some things here? Sure you would. But you know what you're going to do, son? You're ready? For, see, most people never see this. You're not just going to curse your life. You're going to curse mine. Because you're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be where you're at. I know. Been there, done that. I understand it's tough sometimes. But, son, I happen to know you, and you won't quit. Will you? No, sir. So put all this behind you. Quit allowing the enemy to mess with your head. Make you think that you're not called. Cause you to doubt it. You put your face uh, forward like a flint. Obey God. Do what God called you to do. Stick with it. And God will use you. Amen. Yes, sir. See, we had fallen under the category, sadly, of some so-called very famous ministers who aren't pastors. We heard him in a meeting. All you pastors who have just small groups of people, you need to quit pastoring and just come together and put those people in somebody else's church. You're not called in. If you don't have a thousand or more, you're not even a true pastor. We heard that. We heard that. If I told you his name, most of you know the name of the minister. I'm not going to give you his name. I'm not going to slander him. We heard that. We're like, wow, we don't need to be pastoring then. I love something my pastor told me. He said, I have a question. Aren't you out in a little rural town? Yeah. He said, Don't they deserve a good pastor as much as a big city does? Why would they not deserve to hear the same truths? Why would they not? If my pastor ever looked at me and said, Hey, shut this down, this ain't of God, I'm gone. He won't because he's told me not to. I remember a while back Ray Bench, uh, you know, stepped down from his position. They were looking for somebody, you know. Ray Bench took care of all pastor's travels, his right hand man, did all this stuff personally. And I thought, man, I like helping senior ministers. I'd like to have that job. Well, pastor was here when all that was going on. I said, you know, I'd really love to have that job. Yeah, but we've talked about this before, haven't we? Yes, sir. He said, you'd curse my ministry, you wouldn't help it. And you'd curse your life you got to be so determined to say, I want to do nothing but what the Bible says. Period. It's not easy because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And Satan will make sure to try to work on you to get you in a position to not believe what God says or to tell you in relationship to how to do things that you do it God's way no matter what. I will never ordain somebody that I don't know God's told me. Is called to ministry. I'll hold an accountability for that. That's right. They want to go get ordination somewhere else? They can, but I'll never do it because I know I'll stand before Jesus and Jesus is going to look at me and say, you're the fault, boy. Look at how he hurt his life and misled all these people. All his intentions were good. Her intentions were good, whatever. But they weren't called. You know it. And if you obviously endorse him just to be obviously a friendship to him, be kind of nice to him, whatever, he said, you're endorsing a lie. Just like my pastor said, you know I can't have you come up here. Now, obviously, if you, if you step aside and leave your pastorate, I'm not going to kick you out of my church, not let you come, but we're going to have to deal with you when you come to address how, how to address this, because obviously you're out of the will of God. He had a pastor, I said I'd close with that, see what, see what you do. He, he had a pastor that he knew that was really, was it, it was one of his pastors at one time, I think, it was in California. The guy had the nervous breakdown. His second pastor. Second pastor. And he said, I, I, I met him later on uh, again. In his latter life, he, you know, had quit pastoring. He was selling and, suits at mm-hmm. Huh? He was selling, suits. selling suits at J.C. Penney's. And he got to talking to him. He had him come to his church. He said, I want you to come to my church. At least preach to my people. Man, he began to shake like this. Oh, no, Pastor. No, 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 no. I can't do that. No, I can't do that. He said, you don't know what God's people did to me. You know, some of the most, uh, most mean, evil people on the planet are so-called spirit-filled Christians that get out of the will of God things they say about you, things that, I don't, I mean, but I mean, he got so affected by that in his church, he said, I could never go back, Mark. I'm sorry, but I can't. I just can't. Hurt my life too much. Hurt my family too much. Sorry, I can't. I can't do it. But I'm going to tell you folks, make a decision. I'm going to the feet of Jesus, the Word of God. I'm going to make that my priority of attention. It's not going to be secondary. I said, it's not going to be secondary. Jesus walked in that house. Guess what happened? Everything went to the side. Word was first. And do what? Submit to it. Because if you do not, you get out of line with it, guess what it's going to cause you to do? Become double-minded. What's that going to lead to? Doubt. What are you going to miss out on? God's help. And I'm going to tell you, man, I've never questioned that for years about being a pastor, if you just are concerned about it. That's been a long time ago. And I told the Lord, I'll do this till the trumpet blows, or you call me to be, come home, or, you, or, or unless you shut this thing down and tell me to go somewhere else, I'm obeying you. I'm obeying you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I know how to hear your voice. I know how to follow your leading. And I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And this is what he's told me to do. Build that building. Amen. Yeah. Jesus' name. I'm not building it. Man. We're not building it. God's going to help us build it. Right. Amen. Amen.